welcome again to another edition of the Green Beige Podcast. That is AJ. He is the Green. I am Ken. I am the Beige. And this is episode 10 of the Green Beige Podcast. And for those of you who've been with us from the beginning, thank you for sticking with us. And those of you who are now jumping onto the train, welcome. Now, of course, as this is on YouTube, we always like to remind you to like, subscribe, give us a thumbs up, and tell a friend. Because the more people we have liking and following this podcast, then, of course, that gives us an opportunity to do better and greater things for you guys going forward. So, AJ, how is it going, man? How are you doing? I'm as good as can be. No complaints, to be quite honest. Um, Yeah. I have sports. Things are progressing well with life. So, yeah. No complaints. All is well in my world. That is good. That is great to hear. And you know who else is saying that all is well in his world today? I have a feeling that I know what you're about to say, but I'll let you say it. Off the rip, we're going with Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott has signed, well, he has not signed, but he has agreed a contract. And this news broke probably half an hour to 45 minutes before we started recording. Mm -hmm. That Dak Prescott has agreed to a four-year $160 million contract with the Dallas Cowboys. And that contract comes with $126 million guaranteed. So Dak is a happy man today. AJ, what are your first thoughts when you see this contract? Ooh, so <laughs> I was, as I told you before, I was like prepping and whatnot to come here, right? So I I didn't even check the details, but I have I have Shefty's notifications on. So when I saw that come through, I was like, wow, all right. All right. First thought, I am extremely happy for that. That's, that is the honest truth. Um, if I remember, help me refresh my memory here. If I remember correctly, the issue, the holdup last year was not necessarily money, but the length of the contract, right? Yes. Or was it that right. it was that he wanted four years, but Jerry wanted five? That, that's yes. what it was? Yes, that's Correct. what it was. Right. So when I saw it, like the, the initial um, tweet that broke the news, it said it was a four-year deal. So I'm like, all right, cool. I'm glad that everything was sorted out. Dak has his money now. Um, yeah, I'm, I am happy for him. You know, that we know how, we know how, we know how this sport is. Uh, you know, we always talk about the importance of being able to to um, have and lock down a QB. So, I think I think the Cowboys did the right thing, and I'm happy for Dak that that he was able to secure a deal, um, especially you know coming off the year he had. It, it shows that they're putting enough faith in him, and and it's warranted in my opinion. <laughs> I, well, I was just looking up some of the other information on this this contract, and. It says that the deal has a maximum value of $164 million. But they don't right now we don't really have a lot of details as to what is wrapped up in his deal. But there are two very key details within it. He has a no-trade clause. So they can't just ship him out and send him wherever they want. And on top of that, he has a no-tag provision so they can't tag him by the end of this it's either that they'll extend him or he'll become a free agent and then he's free to go wherever he chooses no i just saw i saw actually sorry but i saw actually that he has this is the the highest signing bonus in nfl history now passing russ yeah because that's what was just about coming oh okay okay yeah it's 42 million dollars a year (laughs) 
for the first three years of the season, mm-hmm. uh, his first three seasons, sorry. And then he has $75 million in the first season and his $66 million signing bonus. So, yeah, Dak, Dak just got paid. Now, the interesting thing for me, and this is something that we have alluded to quite often in the past when we've been talking about these, especially when we've been talking so much about the cap and mm-hmm. what the cap is doing or what the cap has done this season coming. When you look at that, Prescott getting all of this money, right? And is they said that it's $75 million that he's getting for this season, but of the $75 million, is averaging $42 million this year and $66, $66 million signing bonus. Now, as we have mentioned before, with the whole thing about bonuses, you can spread bonuses across the length of the contract. Mm-hmm. However, if he's getting $42 million a year on average, then that means that his cap hit has to be pretty big. Is not going to be as big as if he was playing on the franchise tag this season because having been tagged last year, if he was tagged again, they would have to pay him $37.7 million and all of that is counting to this year's cap. So when we see the details, I'm sure we'll see what kind of wizardry they're trying to pull. <laughs> However, the, the one of the biggest issues now becomes the rest of the roster and... Right now, we still don't know what the cap is going to finalize at. Right, we know at this point the floor is 180 million, which means that they have to spend that amount. But the distance between the floor and the ceiling usually isn't that high. And right now, some estimates put it at 185 million. So the Cowboys they had some issues last year in personnel. I know they have a lot less money to fix them. But they have a QB. Yeah, <laughs> that's all I could. That's all I could say. I mean, yeah, they did. Um, and they were. There are some other Cowboys on some. Not obviously not this type of contract, but there were some other guys that were getting paid, right? Well, yeah, because Zeke still <laughs> Zeke still has some money. I can't. I what are the details of Zeke's contract? I cannot remember at this point, but I know Zeke was getting paid though. So um. Yeah, this will be interesting, though. Honestly, the second thing that came to mind after seeing this <laughs> was, I wonder if Russ is going to replace the Cowboys on his list uh, of the four teams that he destinations that he selected, or if it's just uh, and then there were three. Uh, that that was the very next thing that came to to mind. Well, I I mean, at this point, there's no way that he's going to Dallas. Yeah, Dallas. exactly, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So scratch them off the list, but I want I want to know if he's gonna replace them or if he just leave it at three. Because I guess he'll probably leave it at three. And you were asking about Zeke. So Zeke had signed in 2019 a six-year extension of 90 million dollars. So of his 90 million dollars, I think that averages out to be 15 million dollars a year. Yeah. And he had a 13 million dollar option bonus as well in March of 2020. So that doesn't matter at this point. But so Zeke is $15 million to the cap. And then we have Dak, who is 
roughly going to be somewhere between 20 and 40 million dollars for the cap which is a hell of a lot of money to be tied up in two positions and especially when running back being one of them all of that money going to running back and his production has not matched up to his salary at least not since he signed that extension curse of the contract <laughs> well it does work that way for some it doesn't work that way for all but I mean I can contrast him to Alvin Kamara who also just got paid and had a career year so I'm sure that the Cowboys are hoping that you no know, with their quarterback settled and the running back still having all of this money at least their offense should look a lot better under Mike McCarthy who neither of us has a lot of faith in but he's their coach, so they got to figure it out. All right, so some other notable moves were made with regard to these teams and their rosters. And I think after we talk about a quarterback getting his money, then we should talk about the next quarterback who got kicked out the door. And that is one Alex Smith. Now, I mean, poor Alex Smith. I mean, all he did was to break his leg go through hell to come back, finally gets back, and then the team is like, uh, you know, we're not so sure if we want to put you on the field or not. And then he gets on the field, he wins a few games, he gets them into the playoffs, and his reward, he gets released. He was comeback player of the year, and now he doesn't have a team. So, AJ, I know you out there, and, um, well, if not in very close to D.C., what is going on, man? I mean, did you really expect anything differently? It's, it's, it's business. It's business. I mean, I was very happy for Alex Smith as well, starting, you know, starting off this in a, in a very joyful mood. I was happy for what happened with Alex Smith's season, especially like being able to come back from such a horrendous injury and being able to take the field again after being told that he would potentially lose a leg even. So, you know, and especially, like I said, being being in the vicinity of essentially the, the district, it, 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 it sort of hit closer to home, uh, um, no pun intended. But um, yeah, I, I mean, this the, the news doesn't surprise me though. I, I, and I don't think they're wrong for doing it. Like, okay, it, it's, a, it's a really feel good story. It, 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 it fills you with a little joy, you know, he was able to come back, show that he still has some stuff, but since the injury, haven't they gone in a new direction? So I can't really blame them for, for this move. It, it happens. Yes, he was unfortunate, but that doesn't mean that the team is tied to him going forward. They don't necessarily owe him anything in terms of like having to keep him because of that. So it is what it is. I hope, I, I'm, I'm hoping that if he still wants to continue that he will find another team, and I'm sure he will. Might probably be a mentor to, to, to a, a, a young um, up-and-coming quarterback, but I mean, he should. He should. He's very... He, he, he still has enough to be able to contribute, even if it's in a, a secondary secondary quarterback role. But I, I don't blame Washington. They what they had to do. Now, here's my thing where Washington is concerned. And mm -hmm. I know like, you close to the, to the thing. You, you have made mention of that. You consider them to be kind of like your home team, although they can never be your favorite team because... Of course not. Of course not, but... Exactly. But they will always be my, my first home team. Having been a resident of this area for like two years now, of course, I, I kind of have a soft spot for them. All right. I so when the Bucks beat them, but. 
Okay, so <laughs> now that you've made mention of that, right, you're probably not going to like me very much for what I'm about to say. The Washington football team, in my estimation, when we talk about the best run teams in the league, they're not anywhere near there. They're not even close. They're closer to the oh, bottom than they are that. to the top. Washington football team, they drafted Dwayne Haskins, even though that was not a good idea. They recognized that Haskins was not much use and they got him up out the paint. Okay? So we got rid of Haskins. We had um, Taylor Heineke, who had to play the playoff game because Alex Smith was hurt. No, correct me if I'm wrong, but Washington, before or after they have taken off the racial slur that was their nickname before, they were never a free agency destination. They were not a team that players were lining up to come. And even when we hear about the teams and the players right now who are supposedly looking to move or quarterbacks who may be thinking about going somewhere else, at no point in time have we heard the name of the Washington football team even whispered. It has not been mentioned. Their ownership has been plagued with problems of their own making. Not the least of the misbehavior of ownership with regards to the female uh, staff members that they had in the building. Washington has not covered themselves in any glory whatsoever. And then you have a quarterback who has been able to give you the feel-good story of the past season. You had all of the revenue that has been damaged with the pandemic. He is not going to be expensive. But you decide that the best thing for you to do at this point in time is to get rid of this quarterback. Now, I can understand if you have someone waiting in the wings, if you have a plan going forward for the quarterback position, because as we just made mention of Dallas and the situation that they find themselves in now with the cap, as you rightfully said, they at least have a quarterback. Washington does not even have that. And as I made mention of, they're not a free agency destination. So what do they have to do? They have to hope to hit in the draft. And do you know where they're picking? They're not picking in the top 10. Their first pick is 19th. So presumably, unless you're hoping that you're going to find some some gem that has slid in draft because of whatever reason, the teams above you have different needs or what have you, unless you are expecting that you can find the next Dak Prescott, who, while he wasn't a first-round pick, has far exceeded his draft position. What are you doing? What do you expect to find then at 19th? When at least you had a serviceable option. It's not like you have to say that that Alex Smith was playing like Cam Newton last season. He was playing a whole, he played decent football. You understood that he has some limitations with his leg, that he, he would not be as mobile as he used to be. And he, was, and he was never a burner. He was never the fastest man coming out of the backfield. But he could put the ball where it needed to be, even if his, you know, technique and mechanics were a little bit off because you can't really push off of that um, surgically repaired leg. So I'm looking at this and I'm like, 
So, yeah, I can understand from one point of view if you say that because of his injury history and you don't know what is going to happen in the future, that maybe you don't want to commit a lot of money to him. But I believe that he would have still been good enough to, to keep around. But the other part of this is that he didn't even want to stay. So when you put all of that together, I'm looking at Washington with a very strange side eye and raised eyebrow. I can't, all right, and I, and I can't blame that. I hear you. I hear everything you're saying. I, and you're not incorrect. But at the same time, I think the, the, the possibility exists that even though they have never been an attractive destination, based on just a situationally, now, I understand what you're saying about them being poorly running and so on, but and I, I'm not even suggesting that they will get like a, an immense upgrade on um, Alex Smith, right? But the fact of the matter is that the, the position is not open. So if there is a free agent, oh, they like y'all haven't committed um, to Jameis as yet, right? Um, and Andy Dalton, not a Dak has, has his money. Andy Dalton is supposed to be free this year as well. We don't know if he's going to resign there. So, I mean... I, I don't think that they, they are they will be completely be completely bereft of options. Like I said, I, I, I agree it won't be like a huge upgrade, but I, I don't think that that they will they they won't have any options going forward. I, and and I, as you just um, eloquently pointed out at the end of, of your soliloquy, the fact of the matter is Alex Smith has been injured. Um, even after he came out from that injury, he missed a playoff the playoffs uh, playoff game because he was injured. Um, so it, I, I could understand them not wanting to still take the risk going forward. I can't, I can't blame them for the move. I understand in, in the grand scheme of things you're saying, it still looks very questionable based on the uncertainty surrounding the position at the team. But I think they still made the right move. I, st I, will, still, I will still say that I believe it was the right move at this point. It's looking forward, need to move forward. But at this point, it's a little difficult for us to definitively um, grade this as a, a good move or a bad move because we don't know what the future holds. But by the time the season starts, we will know. We will have a very then, good then, idea. Then, then we will definitely revisit. We'll definitely revisit this topic then. Yes, for sure. Now, there's some other people who are on the move and... I, I put this one first because this is a guy that was um, with your Patriots not that long ago. Kyle Van Noy, linebacker who went over to be with Brian Flores and the Dolphins. He's been cut. Now, I'm trying to remember his exact, um, his what his contract was when he first went to the Dolphins. But I know it was a four-year deal that he had. And now he is out the door. So, AJ, tell me about your boy. What was going on here? Back home, Kyle. Come back home. We always got room, man. We need some linebackers right now. We do. Come back home, brother. I have no idea what happened. Um, yeah, I guess you're trying to pull out the details of the contract because I'm not, uh, like, Van Noy's contract is not at the top of my mind right now, so I can't tell you. But, um, it, yeah. He had a four-year, $51 million contract. 51, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is it's a position that needs filling in uh, for us, and he's been there. He's been there already. I would love to see him come back. I don't think he's washed up as yet. 
mean, I would give Bill the benefit of the doubt. He usually knows this stuff, so um, I don't. I, I don't know if if he still sees sees it, but I know it's, it it is a position that we do need to do need to shore up. So yeah, I can't tell you what happened down in in Miami if they were just trying to to um, get that contract off of the cap, but yeah, come back home, brother. We always have room. So, the thing about Kyle Van Noy, right? Now, Kyle Van Noy, as I just said, it was four years, $51 million. That's what he was being paid from the Dolphins. Now, of course, there are cap considerations to be to be added in here because him being cut, um, they saved $9.775 million for the 2021 cap. So, of course, that is something that has to be taken into consideration. And not to say that Kevin Van Noy didn't get a good paycheck from the Dolphins because he got paid roughly $15 million from them for one season of work. But he played 14 games. Well, sorry, he played, yeah, 14 games. He started 13, and he was injured coming out to the end of the season. And one of the, the things that we always hear is that the greatest, abil- greatest ability, especially in, in the NFL, is availability. And his lack of availability coming down the stretch was part of the problem. Now, also, what has me a little bit where this is concerned from the team perspective is that he didn't see it coming. Like he said... And there's a quote here in this article I'm looking at right now that is on cbssports.com. He says, I'm surprised and disappointed in their decision. As a captain, I gave my all to the team. I fought through a painful hip injury during the season, including spending a night in the hospital after a game. I was brought there to be a leader, and I know my teammates look up to and respected me. I'm looking forward to making an impact on my next team. So when I look at his stats, I mean... His stats weren't terrible for this this past season. Um, he had six sacks, 46 solo tackles, and two forced fumbles. So he was still productive. But I'm sure that he wasn't productive to the level of the $51 million that he was supposed to be paid. And, of course, you know, this, this lends itself to a conversation that is had in many spaces. We've never had it, but, I mean... We don't have to get into it right now. I'll just throw it out there, and then if you want to respond, you can. But there are lots of players, just like the coaches, who have excelled in Foxborough. They've done great things while playing for the Patriots. And then when they get somewhere else, and you expect them to be able to perform at that same level, then they can't. It then makes you wonder just how good this player was or was it just a product of being with the Patriots and being under Bill Belichick? Like I said, that's not something that you have to respond to right now. We can tackle that at a later date. But no problem, sir. No problem. Over to you. Oh, you mean on Van Noy stuff? Uh, no, nah, I mean, I said, I, which is uh, the your last point kind of fits into to what I was saying before. It, it goes to show you, either way, either way, uh, he was more than serviceable at us. So even if he wasn't um, in Miami, then it means that he could probably still come back and do a job. And like I said, I think that that is a position that we need um, 
to be fortified at this point. I, I'm more interested doing the next name that you have on the list. Kyle Rudolph. Oh, yeah. The, the second Kyle. So Kyle Rudolph, he was, you know, the star tight end for the Minnesota Vikings. And now Mr. Rudolph also finds himself out of a job. So, AJ, you, since you want to get at Mr. Rudolph, how about him? Yeah, no, I've just always been a fan of Kyle Rudolph. Um, he has had in injury struggles in the last, um, well, I, I, let me not say injury struggles, but he because he only missed four games. Um, 2019, he played every single game, but his production was down from 2018. Um, and that, that last season, not last season, sorry, season before 2019, that was when they added Irv Smith Jr., if I'm correct, or, or mm -hmm. was last year, right. So that could have been because of the addition of Irv Smith Jr. But I, I, I still firmly believe in in Kyle Rudolph, and I, I think he will do, I think he will do a good job. And you know, we usually have this propensity to use um, the tight end position. Uh, so yeah, honestly, right? I, I would like to see Kyle Rudolph come to New England. I don't know why he would, but trying to think positively about it, <laughs> trying to think positively about it. He's one of the, I, he. He's not a, the ideal name I would like to see get there, but I feel like the number one name on, on that tight end list, who we'll get into in a bit, um, don't see him getting to New England at all. So, Karudov seems like a very good option still. Um, last year, yeah, it was, it was a, 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 arguably his, his worst year. Yeah. 20, uh, 28 receptions off of 37 targets with 300. 34 yards and a single touchdown. Mm, that's all right. That's all right. He wasn't he wasn't playing wide receiver one numbers in the last two seasons. Uh, wasn't playing, wasn't necessarily, in my opinion, being used as a, as the one. Uh, not wide receiver, uh, the tight end one, sorry. He will be in New England, though. He will be in New England. I I, I still believe in him. I, it, his injury problems haven't been that terrible. Might be a, a little niggle here and there, but He's good enough. He's good enough. Well, I mean, it, says, it feels like I'm the one that's being down on all these guys today. It's it possibly, possibly. <laughs> but possibly. I'm looking at, I'm looking at Karudov's numbers. Now, as you said, he has not been used as tight end one, especially in the, pe the last two seasons since Earl Smith has been, being, he's been molded and groomed and he was also being put further and further into the offense. So that's one caveat that we have to give. Another caveat that I'm surprised you hadn't mentioned, but I'm going to mention um, it, is that he had Kirk Cousins as quarterback. And neither of us believe that Kirk Cousins is an answer uh, at quarterback. And that's the question true, is, who is probably the worst starting quarterback that you can get for your team? That probably <laughs> might end up being Kirk Cousins. So when you put all of that together, then there are some allowances that we can give for Mr. Rudolph. However, as you mentioned just now, he caught 28 passes from 37 targets for 334 yards and one score. For me, that is not even the biggest issue. The biggest issue is that he only played 12 games. And he is 31 years old as a tight end that had played much more as he, when he was younger. In 2012, he had 93 targets. 2016, he had 132 targets. So he's been on the field for quite a bit. And 
Well, his yards per target went up this season. The number of targets, you know, fell off a cliff. He only had 37 targets for this season. So I am not, at this point, Kyle Rudolph can't command a whole big lot of money. That That is for sure. Even, even better. Even yeah. better. That works in your favor. <laughs> Except <laughs> that when Kyle Rudolph comes over, to, if he should come over to the Patriots, he's just going to fit into the mold of what you currently have, which is a not that great receiver. He might be good for pass blocking. He might be good for run blocking. But when you're looking for someone to be that presence on the outside, Kyle Rudolph, I, get, I don't think I that is it. I get what you're saying, but I, I think you're looking at it from the grand scheme, right? You're kind of looking at it as, yeah, I, Kyle Rudolph in, in comparison to others in the league. I'm looking at it as Kyle Rudolph compared to what we have. And it, it doesn't look, because, all right, even, even those factors we mentioned, you know, one thing we forgot to mention too was that um, last year, in addition to, to like Irv Smith being ingratiated into the offense more, last year, rookie Justin Jefferson, remember the year that Justin Jefferson had? So yeah. there wasn't much, of, there wasn't that much of a use for Kyle Rudolph. I, don't, I, I, I honestly don't think it, it, it has to do with his inability to perform. I think it was just the other, the younger pieces that were being used more. And like you said, it's Kirk Cousins. I, again, it's Kirk Cousins. So, and, and mind you, he's still better than what we have because as, as of this point, we have no quarterback, right? But at the same time, I, I don't need Kyle Rudolph to come in and be elite. He's still better than Devin Asiasi, um, who who's uh, it, it was last year. Asiasi was was drafted and spent some of the time injured. Um, obviously, yeah, there's no who. I can't, it, it, I'm I am struggling. I'm struggling to to remember the other tight ends in this team. But is I would the entire receiving core is just so bad. I, I think he is still an upgrade based on he could he can still be productive. He doesn't have to be the Kyle Rudolph of 2016 or 17 that, that you pointed out. But even, even the, the 28 from 37, that's still what, a, a 75% catch um, percentage? Ken, I mean, I, you look at what I was working with. Look at what I was working with. Look at, I, there's one, there's, there's one, one single player in my entire receiving core last year who anyone was even mentioning. Uh, just and and it was just because, right? And that was Jacoby Myers. I, not not a single tight end. No one else. Jules w was injured, and Jules is a little bit older than Rudolph, even. So even at thirty-one, he's an elder. He's an elder statesman in the league, but he's experienced, a vet. I don't mind it. I I, I would absolutely love it, honestly. Just bring him in on on a one year right now. He might he might be cheap if he performs. Then you can see what happens after that. But yeah, Rudolph the Red Nose Reindeer, come through, bro. Um, I, I wish you, you all the red zoner in there. Sorry, <laughs> I wish you all the Find best. With that. Already. I love him. I, I wish you all the best with that, honestly, because <laughs> I don't really have I don't really have that much hope for him. But if he goes, he should get some work, and I wish him all the best wherever he lands. No, no, the next team on the list here, and this would I mean, we, we talk about them all the time because of my team. The New Orleans Saints, we've outlined 
repeatedly the cap hell that they're in and they have started to make some moves to to address that jared cook josh hill two tight ends gone i am not going to shed any tears for cook leaving honestly i was good at, that's that's what i really wanted to hear because i remember explicitly during the season you were you were very adamant at that point you were very certain without a shadow of a doubt, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that you wanted Jared Cook off your team. Yes. So you're still maintaining that, that level. Yes. Of, okay. All right. That has not changed at all. Okay. At <laughs> all. Jared Cook needed to leave my building, and he right. has left the building. I am here gotcha. for gotcha. all of it. Thank you, sir, for your service. But it is time for you to kick rocks so he is gone josh hill who we never really used that significantly in the offense especially as a passing tight end he was more the number one hill at, at the scenes hmm? i said he wasn't even the number one hill at the scenes no 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 no, definitely not he he was there for i don't even remember how many years we had him I, I believe that we had drafted him but he never he never was a focal point ever in any game. And that is even with others being injured and out. Um, our punter, Thomas Morstead, he got cut. Honestly, that one did. It, it. Morstead has not been bad this season. And he's been a good servant to the team for the majority of his contract. So I was a little bit surprised to see that he got cut. Because, I mean, if the punter is punting well, then you, know, you would think that he would be safe. But apparently... He was not safe enough. So I would say that he is most likely a cap casualty. And Demario Davis and Cam Jordan, well, they got their contracts restructured, which allows us to save a further $13.4 million towards the cap this season, which is great because now we've gone from $70 million to about $44 million of the cap. So we still got some work to do. But Sorry. at least... Some things are being done. And I'm sure that when you spoke just now about the number one tight end that has been cut, or as, at least is free, I'm guessing that Jared Cook is that guy. Oh, no, 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 not Cook. I mean, no, I was like, not, yeah, I, I didn't necessarily mean cut. I, I was more referring to a tight end that may be available. Mm. As of now, it, it's... You know, the talk is about trade, but if that doesn't happen, then, yeah, then he'll be available. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, not, I, I'm not as harsh as Cook, on Cook, as you are. You wouldn't be. He didn't fumble yeah. away your chances. <laughs> and he didn't let balls go through his hands and cause your quarterback to have interceptions. So, of course, <laughs> you wouldn't be. So, yes. So, yes, I guess all that contributes to, to me having a bit more leniency on him, but... I'm not sold either. I'm not very sold. Like I, I'm not as excited about the prospect of having Cook as I am on Rudolph, to be honest. Well, uh, I mean, to be fair, if I had a pick between the two, I probably would go with Cook still. I probably would go with Cook still because you know Cook, Cook was a Pro Bowler last season. Yeah, he was. He was. And well, this season he has um, turned me off to no end. You know, he can still be productive. Provided you have a good quarterback thrown to him, which is 
still part of your problem. Um, but we will, yeah, I'm sure that there's more to come on him in a while. Um, another team that I am sure holds no um, fondness in your heart whatsoever, the New York Football Giants. Um, they have also released David Mayo, one of their linebackers. And then the guy who, um, it is said that the only aggression he showed was when he got into that fight with, um, what's his name, Jalen Ramsey, Golden Tate. He's also been cut. So what do you have to say about these Giants? Do you have anything to say about these Giants now looking for jobs? I mean, I, I'm not going to act like I was really, like, I, I wasn't really studying David Mayo. That's the honest truth. With Golden Tate, no, I'm not surprised. I, I, I think Golden Tate is an okay receiver. And I, I, I'm, I'm fully aware that I'm, I'm even saying something like this, that he may very well end up on my team and I may have to support him a bit more. But I've never, I've never, never really and truly been sold on Tate. I think he's decent. I think he's decent at best, serviceable, but. I don't think he's he's someone that you keep around, especially if you're in, you're in cap trouble and, you know, you need to cut somebody. Yeah, he's always going to be a casualty. So, yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate for him as, a, you know, being the player who is finding himself in these situations. Tate is now 32 years old and he had 35 receptions for 388 yards. So that, can, that level of production you're not going to stick around, especially if you have, as you said, you have some cap issues that you need to deal with. Now, also, we have the Philadelphia Eagles. Their big news was that they restructured their safety, I think it's a safety, Darius Slay, and resigned their center, Jason Kelsey. Of course, they would need to resign their center because they now have to make sure they have a good offensive line to protect their yeah. second-year quarterback. But as far as Slay, Slay, I don't remember Slay. Slay may have been one of the better players on their back end, but their back end last season was terrible. They have so much work to do in that secondary and in that team in general. So I am, I, I don't have anything more on on Slay. Much, I, I, you kind of just said it. He 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 wasn't terrible. He definitely wasn't a standout performer as much as I remember. But he wasn't terrible enough, so uh, yeah, that is what it is as well. Yeah, and then uh, my home team, the Denver Broncos, they have used the franchise tag again on Justin Simmons. They're all pro safety, who he is tagged this. There's no the second year in a row, and. If no long-term deal is made, then he is going to play on a $13.7 million contract for this season. So I believe it was a comment was made. I can't remember by who. But they said that the Broncos especially needed to find a way to keep Justin Simmons in the fold. And reason being, if Simmons has played as well as he has over the last couple of seasons, and then you just let him walk, then what kind of message are you sending to the rest of your roster? What are you really trying to say about the rest of your team? You need to give them the understanding that as an organization, we are trying to win. We are trying to make 
to develop a winner here. So I am not surprised that Simmons has been tagged uh, because all of the conversations that we were hearing before was that they were discussing a deal, but they weren't close. So that they're keeping him here is not a surprise to me. Yeah, 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 pretty much. <laughs> the other big news that came out of Denver, and this is one I'm not sure just how much national attention it got because up to now we still don't really know what was going on, but uh, Vaughn Miller, Super Bowl MVP and one of the preeminent linebackers and pass rushers in the NFL, he found himself in a bit of legal trouble here with the um, it is the Parker Police Department because there it came out that in, I think, late January that he was under criminal investigation and no details were given. Well, the good news for Vaughn is that he it has been announced over the last 48 hours that he is not facing any criminal prosecution because the district attorney, they said that they didn't have enough evidence, didn't have sufficient evidence that they believe that, you know, pursuing him criminally would actually get anywhere or that they could, you know, get a conviction out of it. So they have decided not to prosecute him. But of course, not being prosecuted by the criminal courts does not mean that you don't get disciplined by the NFL. And right now, this season, his contract, he has a team option at $22.15 million. And if they were to decline that, then they save $18 million to the cap. Now, the new GM, he has come out and said that his intention is that they will keep Vaughn Miller in town. But we have to wait and see what that looks like. So, AJ, based on this entire story, what are your thoughts? Um, honestly, I don't have I don't have much because I don't know what the situation up to now, up on up to this point, we we haven't been privy to any sort of information regarding what the criminal, what the alleged charges are, or, or whatever the case is. So I, I haven't made any judgment on it, um, and I guess the team is sort of in limbo in that regard as well because they're waiting to see what happens. Um, according to to um, the article that we shared earlier, yeah. So they're basically waiting to see what happens. Um, Potentially return on lower salary. Yeah. So declining the the option would save 18 million cap space, and the 32 year old Miller could still potentially return to the team on a lower salary if the Broncos decide to take that route. I, 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 there's no way that that the Broncos are going to want to lose to lose um Vaughn Miller. So this it, it this this is 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 sort of played by air. Whatever happens with that situation, I guess even if. Um, he is does face some some sort of um, discipline from the NFL. Uh, what it, it depends on how how long it would be. I I I can't see the the Broncos wanting to lose him in any way, shape, or form. And yeah, the, I, do they even? They don't know what the situation is either. So I I I I had I had no way to make head nor tail of this. I'm just taking it at, uh, as much information as is made available and then uh, just see how, how it plays out. 
But for me, it's interesting. Um, it will be interesting to see how it plays out because, as you said, not a lot of information has come out and we don't know. The general public does not know what is going on here. But I'd like to think that the Broncos, by now, they should have had a couple phone calls with Vaughn. They should have met with him and his representatives to find out exactly what the state of affairs is. Because if they don't, the NFL sure will. And when they do, then they're going to make a determination of if any discipline is warranted. We can't speculate because absolutely nothing has come out. We, there's, there's nothing to suggest that it can be, it could be anything or it could just be a whole lot of nothing. So it would be remiss of us then to speculate on what it is that Vaughn could have found himself in. Not being charged by the police does work in his favor with these contract negotiations, especially with the team considering if they'll pay him $22 million this season. If they decide to do that, he should be a happy man and provided that he's fully back on his rehab from the ankle injury when he had this ligament damage before the season even started last season and he can come back to being all pro level, great. Right now, we just don't know. So we will that is something that we'll definitely monitor and we sure will come back to that sometime soon. So AJ, no let's no let's have a fun conversation. Wait, actually, sorry, before we get to that, just real quick, because we were mm -hmm. talking about the Eagles, but I kind of did want to mention and the name that I was thinking about when I mentioned the tight ends. I can't remember if I even said it before, was Zach Ertz because he's up for trade right now. Yes, that is true. I did see that yeah. as Zach Ertz's name has been bandied the boat with some trade talk. And well, he and has he, still been... Our team seriously interested, yeah. Yeah, he's still been productive. So I believe that if he were to become available, then he would definitely be one of the marquee names that would be out there. And of course, if the Eagles are serious about moving him, then knows the time. Because as we get closer to the draft, it will be better to move him now so that they can see what capital they can get to help fix that roster rather than wait until after the draft and then, then you're left with probably future picks, but nothing that helps you today. I, there's, I, there's no way he could be a New England Patriot next season. I can't see it. Cannot see it. It's unfortunate that he, he did so well for you. I got that big contract from you. But, of course, as soon as he got that big contract, we knew the clock was ticking because y'all don't like to pay nobody. Y'all <laughs> like spend $180 million on 180 players if you could. Mind you, we, we're in, in no great uh, um, cap, uh, uh, like unfortunate cap situation where we are we are under, so we're, we're in a good spot. However, just given the nature of, of as you said, how the, the organization has been run in the last few years, with the GM, GM Bill, there's no way that he sticks around. If Bill was ready to move off of Tom Brady uh, and to, to, to groom um, Jimmy G, then there's no way I could see um, Gilmore being able to play out that the one year remaining on his contract to then become a free agent. 
he ain't gonna lose Gilmore for nothing. Can't see it, not with the way the team is now. So, yeah, he's definitely another. Those are two. I would say those are two marquee names to to look out for. Zach yeah, Ertz and, and and Stephon Gilmore. But of course, as you did say, as you, as you said multiple times too, Jimmy G, he too may be coming available, and all signs point to New England. Uh, yeah, I said so before, and you, you've been you've been hearing the reports, right? That suggests that, that he's he's our plan A. Mm. <laughs> our plan A is, is a QB who was who was uh, um, just given a vote of confidence by the team he's on. But you know, I I, I digress. As you said, let's get into the happy stuff. Let's get into the happy stuff. Well, I mean, yeah, for sure. Let yeah, let's let's talk about some some fun stuff. No, this weekend. Uh, yesterday in particular, they had two things that were, um, I guess, taking up the majority of the areas. There was that big expose interview by Oprah Winfrey speaking to uh, Meghan Markle. And then there was All Star Sunday. Now, those of you who are watching this pod, you don't come here to hear us talk about Oprah. We can talk about the All-Star. <laughs> <Damn> right. <laughs> <laughs> so, AJ, how much of the All-Star weekend about All-Star Sunday activities did you, did you take in? Yo, I ain't gonna lie to you right, Ken. I have not, I've not been up on All-Star weekend for many years now, but for some reason this year, I was actually very interested in seeing how this played out. It could be just me wanting to see the reaction of the players coming out of last year's COVID situation and the bubble and whatnot, especially since there seemed to be some, uh, uh, like a, so a negative reaction when it was announced earlier this year that they would, that the NBA was still going, uh, when the NBA announced that they would still be going ahead with the All-Star Weekend. So I guess I, I just kind of wanted to see how it played out. And I'm actually glad I tuned in this year, to be quite honest. It, it seemed like it was, it was very much enjoyed by all those who participated. It, it just had a very kind of feel-good element. It just, just looking at, at, just looking at faces, everybody just really seemed to be into it, right? And, and for the players, I think they needed that, given the, the last season they had. Um, I saw the three-point contest. That was the first thing I really tuned into. The three-point, I don't know the celebrity game, care nothing about that. Um, <laughs> I saw the three-point contest, um, saw bits and pieces. I didn't see the very first, like two dunks, but the majority of the slam dunk contest. And uh, yeah, and then I was watching the game, I kind of dozed off in the in the final quarter, but I saw the majority of the game. Okay, well, like you, um, I saw the, I missed the skills competition because that, that came that, before yeah. the game started. Mm -hmm. But I was tuned in for the three-point contest I did watch the entirety of the game and I saw the dunk competition. Now, I remember that there were lots of conversations, as you may mention up just now, of if they were going to have this All-Star weekend or All-Star Sunday in this case, and also what it would look like. And the biggest names, the, the biggest draws to the All-Star weekend, LeBron James, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and others were very outspoken with the fact that they did not believe that they should have had an All-Star weekend. However, I am pretty sure that all of them got a phone call from the commissioner and said, hey, listen, right? Y'all remember that 
we haven't had people in these arenas. And y'all remember that like NFL salary cap is going down because of the amount of money that they've lost. And you know that your salaries are tied to the revenue of the league. We need to have this all-star weekend to help generate <laughs> some more money. And that's why then you heard, you heard mm-hmm. like LeBron James, he was saying, well, you know, he still, he, he went off of this is something that we should not have to something. Um, I'll come. If I'm selected, I'll come. I'll be there. I just won't be, you know, I just won't be 100% invested into this, you know, mentally and physically and what have you. So they had the All-Star weekend and everybody, well, almost everybody showed up because just before the festivities were about to tip off, then we heard that Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, they were being held out for contact tracing because of their barber. I mean, it's real sad when a fade or a roundup can make you get pulled out of the All-Star game, but that, that, that well, was Dyson. It didn't. It didn't come out. It didn't work out for them. It is true. So none of us really saw the skills. The skills challenge, um, but the participants of the skills challenge were Robert Covington, Luka Doncic, Chris Paul, Julius Randle, Demontes Sabonis, and Nikola Vucevic. Now, I saw something that was really interesting, and it said that since the since six seasons ago, the brought in the big men. They brought the big men into the skills challenge. And four of the six years that they've had centers in the challenge, the centers have won. And this season was another one where Sabonis, who was the runner-up last year, won the skills challenge this year. I didn't even know who won. I didn't even know who won. Okay, Sabonis, nice. Yeah, Sabonis, Sabonis won. Um... Vucevic, he knocked out Chris Paul. Chris Paul has now been a five-time participant in the Skills Challenge, and he's lost every time. He, Vucevic beat Chris Paul in the semifinal round because Chris Paul couldn't make the layup. And then Vucevic, yeah, so Chris Paul missed the layup. Vucevic came out, laid out the ball. Chris Paul threw it up the second time. He got it. Vucevic already had the head start. Running back down the other end of the court, Vucevic hits the three. Chris Paul is... Not at all. So yeah, yeah. Well, Chris Paul, that's a shame. That's a that's a shame. <laughs> yes, it is. It really is because while you are one of the best point guards of all time and one of the best floor generals currently in the game, apparently your skills aren't that great because you can't win the skills challenge. So yeah, it's yeah. That's so this is why I re- this is why I really like Chris Paul, no, but this is why I refer to Candace Parker as a real CP three, you know. <laughs> but I'm not that honestly I'm not that great a fan of Chris Paul personally I wanted him when he should have been allowed to come to the Lakers all those seasons ago <laughs> thanks to, discussion yeah yeah thanks to David Stern but anyhow we, we, we're keeping it light and happy at this point so <laughs> then we had the three-point contest the three-point contest was directly before the start of the game and we know that um, the participants that they had for that, they had they had some good shooters. They're Devin Booker, who was named as an all-star and a participant in the three-point contest. Unfortunately for him, he was a late scratch because of a knee injury, which allowed Mike Conley 
great guy to get his first call up into the all-star game and also be included in the three-point competition. And he joined the likes of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum of the Celtics. We had Donovan Mitchell of the Jazz, Zach Levine of the Bulls, and my guy, Stephen Curry of the Golden State Warriors. And this competition was actually very exciting. And once I was in it, yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, go ahead. As long as Steph Curry is in it, he is always going to be the favorite. However, he has not been, he has not won the three-point contest as often as many would believe that he should have. Like the second time or the seven or something like that? Or the seven, yes. But as we know that this contest is all for the fans, him coming into the contest, he is the greatest shooter of our generation, and I will say of all time. Therefore, if this is what he does, then we definitely need to have him in the contest. And this season, they also introduced a new wrinkle, which was the deep three-pointer, which the, I can't remember, I think the regular line is 23, 23 yards, and then it was back to 29 yards. And he made mention of that in one of the interviews talking about I think it was between the first and second round where it breaks the rhythm because you're shooting all of these baskets which are, you know, positioned at the corners, at the wings, and definite and you no know, straight on. But then you have to step out and take this deep tree. And and the rules were you could you could decide not to take the deep tree. But if you if had two mountain do zones. And if you pass one and went to the next rack, then you could have come back to it. So it's either that you're going to shoot that ball that's going to be worth three points or you can just keep going. So in his first round, he shot 31. Mike Conley shot 28. And Jason Tatum, I think he shot 27. And those were the three then that went forward to the final. And the commentators were all saying all along that what Steph did, it put the fear of God into the hearts of the guys. Because when you have when you have a man that can sort and shoots a 25, 25 is not a bad score. But Steph shoots last. And at one point, I think they said that he was he went nine straight without missing. Because it was, he went nine straight on the wing and then the center. Mm. And it's like if you know that you have to shoot 30 to beat this man, then it's going to be a problem. Jason Tatum, he couldn't handle the pressure. He shot 17 in the second round. And Mike Conley, he shot 27. So he was done one. And Curry then came up and won it on the very last ball. And Which is, which is why I actually enjoyed it. I was, I was happy that even though Wardell was in it. Sorry, I don't know why. I, I like to call people government names, even though I don't like mine. Or, I'd like to be called, <laughs> like to be called by mine. But yeah, even though Steph was in it, I was happy that it came down to that sort of like movie anticlimactic sort of a, 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 a plot, right? So it literally, literally came down to that money ball, that last ball. So I was, I was happy it ended like that, and it wasn't just a washout, um, a wash off, washout. Yeah, Mike, Mike Conley wasn't bad though. He wasn't. He, he pleasantly surprised me. And like you said, like Conley's such a good guy, right? I've, I've actually been hard on him for being a good guy. Because I've, 
there was a point in time where, where there was a, a stat going around about Connie had never, ever gotten a tech in the league. And I'm like, it's so easy to get a tech now. How do you not get a tech? Like, bro, do you have no grit? No metal? Nothing? You, you even stare somebody down after you, you lay up in their face or something like that? Like, but, you know, I was, I was again, me just, I, me, I'm happy for these guys. Happy that Connie got his, his, um, his chance. Because uh, this was his first appearance, right? First, yeah, first time, first time ever being called into the All Star game. Correct. So, was glad for him, and I was even happier that he pushed Steph, um, basically to to be last ball. It was it was an enjoyable um three point contest. It was indeed, and honestly, right, Steph, as I keep saying, Steph is my guy. So yeah, I was true. I was very very happy that Steph won the three point shootout, but. If he had lost to Conley, I would not have felt as bad knowing that Conley, you know, he deserved to be on this stage before. And he's never gotten the opportunity because, let's face it, he's been in the West for the entirety of his career. And the West has always been chopped full of quality guards. So who yeah. are we going to pull out then to give him a chance? So I'm glad. I mean, let's, let's say that he was the best replacement because... Devin Booker himself was a replacement because he came in for Anthony Davis, who has been injured. So Booker gets the belated call-up, then he's out. Conley gets in, and Conley does a great job. So props to him. And then, like, okay. They started the All-Star game. Like, I don't know if you want to talk about these rosters, and how the rosters were constructed. From the time I saw that LeBron James, Stephen Curry, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and in reserve was Damian Lillard, I knew there was no way that Team LeBron could lose this game, knowing that you know, we have questionable levels of defense played in the All-Star game. So we can have a lot of three-point shots. We can have a lot of dunks. And when you want three-point shots, you have the two best snipers currently in the game, and Dame and Steph. When you want dunks, is Giannis who's just going to run down through the paint and do what he feels like. So it was impossible for me to see how they were going to lose. And honestly, I wanted them to lose. I wanted them to lose a quarter. Because, you know, both teams were playing for their own charities. I don't remember what team Durant was playing for because they never won any. But the Thurgood Marshall um, Foundation, they got $1.25 million because Team LeBron swept everything. So, let me give you a funny story, right? So when they, when they were calling all the lineups, um, before the game, you know, usual stuff. You have the announcer calling out everybody and then they're coming out and dapping up. And well, My wife stands like, she, Ken, this woman does not watch basketball. Uh, she doesn't watch basketball or, or with that sort of intent, right? Mm -hmm. But she she chose to stand up and look at this with while I was sitting down there watching it. She, I was I was presently surprised as well. You know, like when she takes stuff in. She's looking at it and when she sees Team LeBron, she was like, Team LeBron winning this. So I just look up at her and I was like, and, and in my, I didn't say anything, but in my head, I'm like, well, what do you really know about this? And she was like, how much you want to bet? I'm like, I, I'm not, I said, I, look, I don't really care because Katie's not even playing. 
you know, so I'm not that invested in it. She's like, come now, just, just do it for fun. I was like, all right, cool. It, it don't matter though, because I think Team LeBron is winning as well. She was like, okay. And then she didn't even watch the game, but I did break the news to her that we were indeed correct, that Team LeBron won. And there's no surprise. I, I, I was just saying that to say, I feel like any, anyone could have seen, anyone could have seen. <laughs> it didn't take, a, it didn't take a, 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 a basketball aficionado to see that, that LeBron's team was clearly the more superior based on, on, on the skill set that you need for an all-star game. And yeah, in, in true fashion, maybe that's why I fell asleep because it was just like, all right, y'all just going to take every single quarter and just, it's just, it's just not even going to be a competition. <laughs> the, the only competition that, that took place on the court was between Steph and Dame to shoot the deepest three. Yes. <laughs> that, that was the only competition I saw. That was the only level of competition that I saw. I mean, it, it's, it's, I'm, I, at the end of the day, I'm, I, it, it, it still seemed like a, just a very fun game and everyone seemed to be enjoying themselves. So happy for that. Well, more so on Team LeBron especially. But uh, yeah. For me, the one thing that I would have wanted to see would have been them on Team Durant mm. and Steph on Team LeBron. Them going against each other. And, yeah, going against each other on these deep three-pointers. I mean, James Harden, he he did what he could. And Kyrie, like, he came out with the intention that he was going to be the all-star MVP if his team won. Because Kyrie, yeah, he passed a few early on, but he was shooting and shooting and sh he was shooting everything. So, I mean, Giannis didn't miss. That was the other. That was the other big story. Giannis went three for three, from three. Okay, so I he missed had, the last one. I remember two. Yeah, and and two of them were bank shots from three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember one for sure because I remember the commentators when he lined up the shots. They were like, no, no, no. It did not want the man to shoot, and then when he banked it, everybody, oh, it was. Yeah, it was some good stuff, and and he was he was ecstatic as well. And then, you know, the little celebration afterwards with the MVP Milwaukee. This one's for you. You know, mocking the LeBron. I loved it. I loved it. It was it was fun. It might actually make me feel like taking it next year again. Yeah, for me, the that was that was a fantastic moment seeing like he and his son, and you know the parents that were there with their children and stuff. That that was great, and. Steph Curry, seeing Steph and LeBron on the same team, I'm I'm not the biggest LeBron James guy. That is no secret to anybody that knows me. But to see him and Steph together on the same squad and having a ball, they were just having so much fun together. You had CP3 with an alley-oop to Steph. Steph with an alley-oop to CP3. Dan getting an alley-oop of his own. Like, it was just... <sighs> those dunks were fun. Those dunks were better than the dunk contest. Because, yeah, let me, let's get into that. No, just quick. Yeah, yeah. We, we don't have to spend a long time on this. So the dunk contest, they brought in two rookies and one, I think he's a second-year second year player, Anthony Simons from Trailblazers, Kesha Stanley from the Pacers, and Obi Toppin from the Knicks. So a lot of people seem to have thought that Obi Toppin was the favorite for this one because of the dunks that he's been doing when he was back in college. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a horse in the race. I just wanted to see some good dunks. Same. And the best dunk of the night got the lowest score 
in the first round. The best dunk in the night went first. That was Cassius Stanley. Cassius Stanley. I, I, going I, I, between I, I the legs. Saying, uh, yeah, I, I did see. I, I only saw the replay. That, that was part of what I missed. So I, I saw it afterwards. I was like, okay. Yeah, that was pretty impressive, though. And he got a lowest score? He got 44. And then the other two. Okay, so we have uh, Simons, who got the little um, mini net put about mm-hmm. 12 feet up. Saw that one, yeah. Okay, <laughs> so we give him props for the ingenuity of having the small net. We give him props for the insane ups that he has to go up there and get the ball. But as Dwayne Wade said, and I think uh, Kenny Smith as well, he he went up and got it, but he didn't go and get it. So he he jumped all the way up. He took the ball off and he he just dropped it in. He didn't he didn't. It's not like if he got it, they caught it by hammered it. None of that. So it was it was a good dunk. It was not better than the one that Cassius Stanley gave us, which I thought was sure to give him at least 48. I thought it was... The way how 50s have been sharing in the past, like Oprah giving away coffee makers at her show, I was (laughs) sure that that was a 50. Then to see him get 44 for that, I was like, oh, so the judges marking these men fairly hard. And then to see Obi Toppin and the, the, the statement that was being made all the time, his dunk was not bad, but... Apparently, Zach Levine did it in the lip line, like, last week. He did that in the lip line, well, in full sweat. So, you can give that a four. I think he got the 48 for that done. And I'm like, come on, man. So, so are the refs pulling for somebody in this? Because you can't give that a 48 when you give the other done a 44. It didn't make any sense to me. And then... After that, everything was pretty much anticlimactic. We know that um, Anthony Simons, he was the winner of the dunk contest. And I personally, I understand because of COVID and you're trying to make sure, you know, you, you have to make things finish by a certain time. So this is like the halftime show. You go to this, the judges just pick the winner of the top from the top two. And you got five judges, so somebody has to win. But Give me the old format back. Bring back the judging and picking the scores and, and giving away the 50s and we having all of these extra dunks. I mean, we'll probably never get a dunk contest to the level of Aaron Gordon and Zach Levine when Aaron Gordon got robbed the first time. But who knows? Give me back the original format. Yeah, yeah I, I get what you say. I, like, I wasn't too enthralled in that one either so I don't know I, I slam dunk contest haven't been a big thing for me for a while so it was just kind of I, I do get what you're saying I understand your gripe with it because yeah I thought the Cassius Stanley dunk was obviously obviously not I thought but it was very impressive but I didn't even know the score because um, like I said when when I actually by the time I got into that he was already out essentially so yeah because yeah, he gave up on that second dunk for sure Mm. He didn't even really try. He tried. He he tried to 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 do the. It would have been um, um below both legs and hammer it with the left hand coming from the right side. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he didn't get it, and then he just he just basically did the in game dunk, and that was it. <sighs> that that dunk contest was the that was definitely the low light of 
the All-Star Weekend for sure. All right, now, to wrap this up today, in our final thought segment, we're going to talk about a guy that, unless you are into college sports especially, you probably won't know him or know much about him. He, his name is Les Miles. He was the head football coach of Louisiana State University, LSU. And he was there from 2005 to 2016. And now he is the head coach at Kansas State. And Les Miles, his, he has a pretty good track record in terms of being successful. He led the LSU Tigers to the national championship game twice. And he won it once in 2007. And while he was at LSU, he also got put on a ban by the administration of the school because he was, in, he was accused of impropriety with female students and after a probe in 2013 remember i just said that lsu won the national championship in 2011 there was a campaign to get him up out the paint because les miles apparently he has this he had this thing where he told them that he only wanted them to hire a particular look of students to work with the um, with the team, he said that he wanted them to be blonde. He didn't want brunettes. I don't know what he has against dark hair, but he wanted blonde girls, and they had to look a a certain kind of way. And there are allegations where he was um, kissing the girls and doing all kinds of nonsense. They, as I said, they tried to get him fired in 2013. And instead of Les Miles losing his job because of the complaints that were coming out for him, Les Miles got a two-year extension of $4.3 million dollars per year i don't even know what his salary was before that but i could take his annual salary and i'd be a very happy man so he instead of getting fired he got a raise and on top of that the only reason that les Miles got fired in 2016 is because lsu started off two and two so it's not even to say that because of his bad behavior he got fired and on top of that then he gets another job now with Kansas, and he got he got hired with Kansas in 2018. And right now, Les Miles is currently on administrative leave because Kansas is saying to us that when they hired him, they had absolutely no idea about these allegations that he was facing. Now, there are lots of things in this whole situation that disgust me. It starts with you being 
basically a public servant because LSU is a, is a state-run college. So it's not to say that this is a college like Harvard who is backed up solely by boosters and, and you know, funding and fundraising and stuff like that. These colleges, these public schools, they get funding from the state. So you are a state employee and you're using state funds to basically like you're trying to create a harm for yourself you only want a particular look of of employee and in light of you know today this monday we are recording is international women's day then you as a man in a position of power are using your position of power to be a predator to these women it's not as if to say that, as we have seen in a lot of cases, that we have people who have found themselves in these negative positions and because of whatever reason and look at like, the power dynamic or what, whatever the situation is, they tell themselves, well, maybe I can't come forward with this because it'll be worse for me in the long run if I do than if I don't. No, you had students that, you have female students come forward and say that Les Miles has acted in an inappropriate manner towards them. The administration, or should I say the department, takes the allegations seriously and they kick them up now to the head of department who does absolutely nothing with it. They never have an investigation into what is happening on campus, what Les Miles is doing. And then, like I said, the only reason he is fired is because the team is not playing good enough. He's never held accountable for his actions. The most that you're going to tell him is that he can't be alone with the these female student uh, employees. But if you as the coach can't be alone with these women, then you shouldn't be the coach. You should not be there in the first place. And then to make matters worse, you get another job, another coaching job, at another school. Who I... AJ, if you and I go for a job, after having a job, what's the first thing that they do? They call your previous, yes, they do a background check. They call your previous employer to find out how was he? What did he do? You know, under what circumstances did he leave? Because if we are going to be hired, they want, they're going to make sure that they're bringing a, an employee of quality into their organization. So for Kansas to say, we never heard about any of this, that would mean that Kansas never checked. Kansas never looked into these things. They never, but then again, as far as they're concerned, there's nothing to look into. But uh, LSU, they failed these women by not doing a proper investigation. Kansas made it worse by just hiring this man without actually checking with LSU to find out everything there was that they could find about this man. Now, a quote comes back to mind when it says that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And in a lot of cases, when we look at these college football head coaches, you know that there are college, have college football head coaches that are paid more than NFL coaches. You know, that when it comes to 
power and control and and having the ability to make determinations of people's futures these college football head coaches have more power in a lot of cases than many institutions that in terms of what they can do and how they can impact the life of somebody going forward and in a lot of cases we have college head coaches who do not use their power for good they use their power to do as they feel like and it appears to me most often that the only thing that matters is winning football games but when that may well that may have flowed in 1978 or 1986 when it was born or maybe as far back as like 1994 this is 2021 we no longer operate under those principles the situations have changed and the stories have to be different and if you are a football head coach a basketball head coach you are held to a higher standard of conduct than most other people and when you have failed that then different must be done it comes it brings back to mind another head coach art brails who did absolute garbage at bill where you had the students you had the athletes that were embroiled in sex scandals and he all he's going to say is but he never knew about it but you're the head coach though you're expected to know these things so these institutions they have to do better they have to look at themselves and they have to understand that the responsibility that they have to their community it goes further than just winning football games if something like this were to be what's to come out about Nick Saban I would expect Nick Saban regardless of how many national championships he's won for Alabama to be fired and more than likely never get another job you spoke very eloquently about Urban Meyer and what happened to him when he was at Florida and then what happened to him when he was at Ohio State and no he has no moved and gotten another job in the NFL it is not good enough it something has to change because these men who have all of this power have to do better they have to do something more to protect those who are in their charge and until that happens we are just going to continue to empower and give all of this license and leeway to do foolishness that as what they did with Les Mills and it has to stop to add i think you articulated that very well and and i'm obviously in agreement with what you said it, too many of these instances are just completely overlooked for the sake of looking games and it 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 is absolutely disgusting as all our ads so i completely um yeah i'm i'm on board completely with everything you said <sighs> well i think here is a good space that we can end it we we've, we've talked a lot tonight we've had some fun I had to bring some fire for Les Mills because yeah he's not is not yeah. good enough. So folks again thank you so much for being with us here on the Green Base podcast. This was episode 10. We are 10 episodes in and I know we have improved from where we started. And there is more room for us to improve and we will continue to do so we invite you to continue to journey along with us as we do we have some new stuff 
coming. We have some ideas and some other things that we'll try to bring into the show to make it even better. Of course, you can always supply us with topics for conversation, any issues that you want us to bring up. And of course, keep watching out for the final thought because that is where we will talk about maybe it may be something a little more serious than what the rest of the conversation has been. But again, for tonight, we say thank you so much for being with us. That is AJ. He is the green. I am Ken. I am the beige. This has been the Green Beige Podcast. We'll see you next time.